Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 245 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. <sighs> My name is Brian Salvatore, this has been a week. The Mets have been, uh, well, breaking our hearts, let's say. Started off so promising last week, and here we are now. Looks like the season may be over, Chris and I go into that in a little bit, but whether you believe the season's over or not, it's certainly taking a turn for the worse. So let's um, let's not delay this any further. Chris and I talk about the season so far. We talk about your emails, and we uh, we play a gentleman's bet, which um, let's be fair, nobody really wins. But <laughs> hopefully that piqued your interest enough. And uh, here we go. Well, Chris, we are uh, recording at a little bit of an earlier time tonight because the Mets game was rained out for this evening against the Washington Nationals, and it's probably for the better because. Ever since the Mets got to Washington, let's say everything's falling apart. Uh, not, you know, the, this team keeps doing this thing where it'll look disastrous, and then it'll look slightly less disastrous, and then it will look good for a couple days, 
and then it goes right back to being disastrous again. And this this Washington road trip has so far been just peak bad Mets. You know, there was that that walk off win on uh, Monday. Then there was the not at all pretty game on Tuesday, and uh, you know, just in in the span of those two days, it just the team looks. I mean, utterly lost. You know, Cespedes didn't quite hurt himself, but, you know, tweaked his leg a little bit. Granderson's been out for a couple of days. Uh, TJ Rivera got hurt yesterday's game. It just seems like the, the team, is, nothing is going right for the team right now. So I ask you, just a few weeks away from the trading deadline, is this it for the 2017 Mets? <laughs> when I'm giving up, uh, I feel like that's a momentous occasion. But I, I have. I just don't I don't see it. And I'm always willing to wait and try to see and all that. But, it, you know, it would be one thing if they were losing to the Nationals a lot, but they were still, let's just say, over 500. And, hey, every time they face the Nationals, they can't beat them. Maybe the division is not in play, or it's really frustrating that that happens. But we've been flirting with the concept of being relevant. It's not even like you know flirting with the division lead. And the frustrating thing is that 2015 isn't that long ago. So we remember what it was like when the Mets swept the Nationals in the series. Yep. Uh, there were obviously some guys who were healthy and on those teams. Uh, David Wright being one of them late in that season. Uh, who participate in those wins who aren't healthy right now. But like we know it's not a completely foreign concept, and obviously the rosters change over time, even a short period of time like that. But, yeah, it's just, uh, the frustrating thing is that one of those, either uh, the last time back in June or this time now, one of those going in the Mets' favor would put them – in both of those cases, it would have put them in a you know, reasonable reach of the division that you can make the Nationals sweat a little. You could realistically say, hey, you know, the, the Mets might make something of this. And then they just go completely in the wrong direction. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, going into um, the mid-June series, they were eight and a half games back of the Nationals. It was a four-game series, and they lose three out of four. Uh, so obviously... Sweeps are hard to pull off, but they had a chance there to cut it to four and a half. Uh, you know, then they flounder for a bit. They they rebound uh, from that terrible series in Los Angeles that probably the, uh, the earliest in the season I can remember turning games off because I just would rather sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and they go through that all, right? They come back. They, they sweep the Giants. They take two out of three from the Marlins and two out of three from the Phillies. Three out of three from the Phillies would have been much uh much better but again they end that series uh there were nine and a half back of the the nationals coming into monday and then they lose two games and immediately put themselves back to 11 and a half back uh you know when you're bouncing between eight and a half and and up <laughs> whatever the whatever the limit of up is it's just hard to it's hard to see them doing anything with it um, I don't know. I'm, lately, I'm more taking solace that hey, the Giants are going to miss the playoffs too, and uh, <laughs> and and the Cubs might, you know. Uh, so 
I don't know. It, it's that's not how I wanted to be thinking about the season. Uh, it is still possible that they go on a run, but I I would not complain if they start retooling uh, for 2018. You know, starting today. So I've been thinking about this a lot in this depressing week of uh, of Mets fandom. And, you know, 2018 sounds really nice right now, right? It sounds like it's a fresh start, a new beginning, etc., etc. Do you think there's any chance that anything even resembling the necessary changes would happen over this offseason? Uh... Yeah, and it you know it's not necessarily that I think ownership's going to keep a payroll that's north of 150 million, um, but there's there's enough uh, there, there's enough coming off the books, um, you know that this isn't the major free agent class or anything, but I would hope the lesson of hey this bullpen isn't good and. <laughs> You know, I, I'm just going to assume they're going to go into next year without Reed. I would like them to to retain him, or even if they trade him away now to try to get him to come back. I know that's rare uh, to have anyone do that with a between a player and a team, but a relief pitcher seems like the most likely way for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of I don't know something. Relievers are weird. Um, maybe that's why I like talking about them so much, but. <laughs> But yeah, it's. I can. It, there's enough, and we've touched on this a little bit over the course of the season. I just can't go in with like inexperienced uh, at the major league level, Rosario, Smith, and Shakini being three fourths of the infield with like a mix of Flores and Rivera and Reynolds at third. You can't have all of that happening at once. Um, so I don't know which pieces do and do you know do not work. Uh, but I think the lessons that could be learned from this season, uh, the outfield's in good shape. Even if you go with like a Ligaris Nimo platoon in center, I would say that's not, you know, that's not your A plus option uh, as a team looking to contend. But the outfield is fine roster wise. Um, you know, the infield gives you some question marks. But I think the the lessons would be don't go into the year with only these pitchers, you know, and it's tough going into the season. I, I know, you know, there are people who express a lot of complaints uh, about that and I wasn't panicking, but it may be tough to find those guys, but it would be good to uh, at least have a few established major league pitchers who are in the bullpen behind the, you know, the ones that you have that are good, which right now is, in terms of under contract for next year, two, uh, Blevins and, and Familia. But yeah, I, it, it's tougher to do that with a starting pitcher because, you know, guys are going to want to go somewhere that they can actually start as a major league player. Um, you know, even, even if they get paid, no a guy who's borderline doesn't want to play in the minor leagues, but yeah, it, it's, I think those are lessons they can learn, and I think certain things could go better. Um, 
even with guys that they have. And even, if, you know, like Steven Matz, I don't expect to throw more than 120 innings in a season. But maybe account for that a little bit more, you know, when you go into next year. I don't see them getting dramatic, though, and, and, and like, trading away anybody who would hurt and doing that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I don't think so either. I guess, I guess for me, signing a few free agents doesn't doesn't solve the underlying issues with the Mets in twenty in the twenty tens. You know, um, I, I think I'm probably going to finally get my wish, which would be no Terry Collins for next season. But that's not because of ownership. I think I think he's just ready to retire at this point. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, but I think that, you know, there has to be something done about the Mets medical staff. And I don't know, there, there's not an easy answer here. And I, I recognize that I'm not a medical professional in any capacity. Uh, but this team just consistently gets hurt. Consistently gets hurt. And has for the last couple of seasons. And I just... I'm not saying that a, a new regime and the medical staff will fix all of that, but you have to try something, don't you? Yeah, and I don't know if it's, you know, what the off-season training is. Um, you know, it. I think Ron Darling expressed it. We, I, we may have touched on this a little last week too, but expressed, hey, maybe try something different in terms of training. Uh, you know, what what types of things these guys are doing. I think his take on it uh, might have been a little bit too far to like, hey, everybody, like, drink a bunch of beer and don't lift any weights. <laughs> right, right. I am not saying that by any means. Right. But I, but I think that, you know, maybe going easy on the bar with stuff this off season wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Right. Try it. That's – and, uh, you know, in terms of having faith in them actually doing something, I don't specifically with that – but maybe just try it, see if it helps. You know, I mean, I know these like workout videos are impressive and all, and I, and I get like you want to be conditioned to play the season. But uh, I don't know. Maybe just dial it back a little bit. You know, you you want guys to be healthy, but they can they can work out without doing like CrossFit times two. Right. Exactly for a month or a month and a half or two months before spring training. It, it's a long season. So I get you want to build up, you know, strength and all that and endurance and and be ready for everything. Uh, and I, I don't know that, like, too many muscles means too many pulled muscles. You know, even, even Gary made that point uh, last week. You know, I don't know that there are necessarily more hamstring injuries now than there used to be. You just don't remember all the old ones, you know. And they might not have been as specific and said hamstring either back in the day. Right. Pulled, pulled muscle. There's there's lots of ways to say that. I think sometimes people think that just because it wasn't said the way we say it now doesn't mean it means it didn't happen. I don't, I don't agree with that. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it, with Barwis specifically, maybe for the guys that they have, Maybe that exact routine is not the perfect match. Maybe there's a baseball team that if they did that would dominate and be the best team on the planet, you know? Uh, but I would certainly try to change 
something uh, about what they do in the off season. Yeah, I just don't know what that something is yet. Or not yeah. rather, I don't know what the something they're going to do is. You know, I, not... I kind of feel like. Go ahead. Like that whole setup is very much a culture of, and I wasn't. I know people made a lot of noise about, you know, players paying for certain parts of it and all that, and that's fine. Like, it's not an issue that I personally got super worked up about. Um, but I think the the culture of it, you can see, either from the outside or from being down there in St. Lucie, is very much. You buy into this thing, and the team's all there together. Maybe the answer is just as simple as. Let guys work with individual trainers who tailor their routine to them. Right. So, and I know it's not mandatory, but it's one of those like, hey, part of the team, like, you know, wink, wink kind of things. Or that's how it seems. So maybe there's not a blanket approach for any baseball team that works. Maybe that's, that's all it is. Just have guys do things that work. For them, you know, I mean, just look at players on the roster to, to think that you would have even Matt Harvey and Jacob DeGrom doing the same workouts. They're very different people. You know, they both throw hard, but one is tall and weighs probably 70 pounds less than the other. Yeah. And that's, that's not an insult to Harvey. DeGrom's just a string bean. Yeah. You know, but maybe the, like the, the workouts for those two guys shouldn't be. Uh, all part of the same larger program. And, of course, this is complicated by the fact that the Mets have a financial stake in Barwis's company. Right. And that, you know, it, it's very different if if a team was simply sending players to his camp and they could easily not do that. It's a lot harder to untangle yourself from the financial investment. But I think a lot of fans, maybe rightly or wrongly, Say that the Wilpons are are known for putting business before team, and I think that this is a clear. If nothing is done this off season, those whispers are only going to get louder. Right. Well, I have a solution. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, Tim Tebow does the off season training, and then okay. he plays. And then he plays for the St. Lucie Mets in perpetuity. So he'll be a player. A minor league player, major league uh, strength and conditioning coach. And people will show up in droves for both things. I can dig it. <laughs> I mean, it, it can't go worse, right? <laughs> it, no, it literally cannot go worse. What would Tebow do? I feel like Tebow's workouts would all have, like, biblical puns in them. Yeah, like that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but no, I, the only reason that I'm holding off 100% selling on this season, excuse me, as I yawn, is, uh, is just that the National League itself is so bad this year that I, I don't think the Mets are ever going to catch the Nationals, but I, I think that them getting to the second wild card spot is not the craziest thing that could happen the rest of the season and it wouldn't take all that much black magic for that to occur i think we're perilously close to it it being nearly impossible i I don't think we're there quite yet but i don't think the mets have enough to get to that 
place where they're still playing the famous, quote, meaningful games come September. Oh, excuse me. Man, this team is making me sleepy. <laughs> um, shall we get some email? Yeah. We have two emails this week. Uh, the first one I'm going to read is from our friend Matt from Urbana in Maryland, and he says... The early part of 2017 was extremely disappointing for Hansel Robles. However, he experienced both growth and some limited success in 2015 and 2016. What do you think 2018 looks like for Robles? And do you think the Mets have any interest in bringing him back up to New York this season to get him back to facing big league hitters? Well, Chris, you were the president of his fan club earlier this season. So I'm going to let you start this one. Yeah. uh, Short answer, I don't know. Um... You know, the way I've always characterized him uh, has been, uh, for lack of a better term, the streaky pitcher. You can rattle off a month, two months sometimes, where he's excellent. uh, And then he can do the opposite. Uh, And the opposite just went south really fast this year. And, like, I don't know. The velocity didn't fall off. You know, I mean, it's... There's nothing that stands out as like, oh, wow, that, that there's a red flag, right? Um, he just seems to have a switch that is hidden someplace, and occasionally someone trips that switch, and then he's done. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, but even looking like what, at the pitches he was throwing, I guess in his time in the majors, I could say he, he got away from the fastball and, and fell in love with the changeup a little. Um, but that's a, it's a mix of pitches that he's used in the past. You know, the, the velocity didn't completely fall off and, you know, he's a guy he had on May 10th and he had had some rough outings early in the year. Uh, but by May 10th, he had a 1.42 ERA and then he just got rocked three outings in a row, gave up, uh, 12 runs in two and two thirds innings. Jeez. And and brought his ERA up to 6.23. And that in and of itself was like maybe particularly terrible, but also not completely out of character with what he does over the course of a season. And then I don't know what has happened in Vegas. He's been I – mean, it's a tough place to pitch, and we all know that, but he's been way worse. You know, he's facing AAA hitters, and he has, a, I think, the ERA down there is 7. Uh, 7.23, like uh, you know, at the moment of uh, this recording. I don't know. Uh, I guess walks are the thing that stand out. And, you know, the, his walk rate was never outstanding, but it is really bad this year. So I don't know what it is. Is it that Bartolo's not around? You know, we know they're close. He might, you know, by the time you hear this, for all we know, Bartolo might be back. <laughs> Maybe that's when Robles gets called back up. Um, Wouldn't it be amazing if Bartolo was the cesspitus for this year? That, that Bartolo comes back and all their problems just get righted? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be like the greatest. Uh, it would be... literally be the greatest story in Mets history. <laughs> And in doing so, he like fixes David Wright's shoulder, and he comes back too. And you know, Cindergard and Harvey are aces again at the end of the year, and Bartolo's there to 
carry them all to the playoffs. Uh, sounds nice, doesn't it? That's like the dream we have right before we die. <laughs> that's, the, uh, <laughs> that's the comforting image our brain gives us before oxygen runs out. Let's um, see. Getting dark here. <laughs> we are getting dark here. That's true. Um, but in terms of Robles for next year, I think there's no harm in seeing what he looks like in this in spring training. Right. They oh, yeah. Pe- they need people to pitch in AAA no matter what. So he'll get a shot for 2018. I just don't know. What, what's tough is like, so there are pitchers like Ali Perez, right, who were incredibly frustrating, who were streaky and all of that. But Perez would have these extended periods of of success and then these periods where you could easily tell what was wrong. His mechanics would be terrible, whatever it was. You could, you could look at him and say something's off. You look at Robles, he doesn't necessarily look different from when he's pitching lights out to when he's barely getting the ball over the plate, you know? I just I don't think that there's a way to diagnose his problem just yet. And that means that it's going to be a, a problem that's going to persist for some time. Yeah, I mean, if they decide to sell, I'm fine with bringing him back up and just letting him play in the majors this year, see what happens, because then there's really no harm. Right. And I expect he'll be up in September, uh, regardless of what happens with him and the major league team between now and then, just because he, he is an arm and there are innings to be pitched. Yep. Even if you're contending, you might get into some blowouts where you – try to work him back in and see what happens so yeah i don't know i would not be surprised if he has uh let's just say a 3.2 era in the 2018 season and i would not be surprised if he doesn't pitch in major league baseball after 2017 there's really it's a it's a wide range of outcomes all right we're, we're gonna we're gonna place a gentleman's wager here I'll take whatever side you don't want to take on this. Okay. Next year, who will have more games appeared in? Hansel Robles or Jose Reyes? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to go Reyes just because he has the the name, whatever it's worth. Uh, he has the name of the guy who's been in the majors for a long time. I feel like uh, if the Marlins don't uh, get sold, Loria would totally bring a guy like him in just to just to troll everybody. <laughs> yeah, just to trot him out there. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm. Please don't let him be on the team next year. Well, I was going to say, I I don't think I think if he's not playing for the Mets, he's not playing next year. Yeah, barring some like incredibly good second half, but or if or if he goes to a winter league and hits nine hundred or something, right? But yeah, no, I mean you're looking now. Last year looks like the aberration from uh, what he is as a player now, and then still over the last. Yeah, last three seasons, six ninety four OPS, eighty four OPS plus. It's just not good. So you say that Reyes will appear in more games than Robles will? Yeah, despite all that, uh, um, that that's who I'll take. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take Robles, and we'll we'll see what happens. 
Yeah. All right, well, our, our second email this week comes from another Matt, but this is a Matt from Germany. And uh, he sent a very long, very sweet email saying a lot of nice things about us, asking some questions that I will reply to in an email to him personally. But his, his basic point was this. He does not believe that Ahmed Rosario should be called up to the majors this season. And part of his reasoning is that he thinks that the Mets have a history of calling players up too soon. He says that he, he lists guys like Daryl Strawberry, Doc Gooden, um, Michael Conforto, Matt Harvey, Zach Wheeler, uh, as as cautionary tales for people who are brought up too early and who um, don't have the careers they should have because of that. He even mentioned Steven Strasburg, who, though not a Met, obviously was called up quite young. Uh We'll kind of get into some more details as we talk about this, Chris. But do you think there's any do you think that there's any truth to this idea that the Mets have a history of calling up players too early, and that this is perhaps the reason why they haven't developed more perpetual all stars? Hmm. No. I I don't. With position players, it feels like they they wait too long. Yeah. I mean, Conforto was just about right, you know. Uh, it, even with the struggles he had last year, I think you you look at the timing of that, that's all fine. Um, but, yeah, no, it's I, – I just don't see it. And, then, you know, going back to, like, pre-2000, I'll admit I don't have a fantastic memory of – I was old enough to be into it and all that, but, you know, I wasn't tracking – things like prospects and, and call us. Yeah. 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 So, so maybe I'm, you know, missing out on, on players from back then, but it, it really doesn't feel like, like how old was Jay Payton when he came up? Let's, let's go to, oh, I couldn't tell you for all the money in the world. Yeah. He was 25. I had the answering my own questionnaire. He was 25 when he came up and he got a total of 30, uh, 32, played appearances in his age 25 and 26 seasons um he wasn't 27 it wasn't until he was 27 that he was playing regularly right i don't know mm-hmm. if this is like a great example or a bad one but th- th- you know this is somebody who uh was in baseball america's top 100 three years and, in a row and a well-regarded, in the 90s. a well-regarded prospect a, a guy right. who was who was supposed to hit Right. I don't mean so offensively that, hit. I mean hit as a as a professional player. Right, right. So it's uh, that's not the end all be all of of what they've done, but it's an example of somebody who came up who you know was a little bit older, was not rushed, and didn't pan out. Uh, the the current regime certainly isn't doing that. Uh, they, right. They've been very patient and conservative in terms of when they promote guys. Uh, for the most part, it's worked out, but I I get the frustration with the Mets not developing more um, perennially good position players. I just don't think it's because they've been rushed. Right, right. I think, I think there's other things in play there that probably matter more. Yeah, and I think there's some of the, quote, cautionary tales he talks about. Like, Michael Conforto coming up too soon doesn't make sense to me. He was great in 2015, 
He struggled a bit in 2016, was injured, and now has been great in 2017. He had a down year last year. That happens to a lot of players. I don't think you can say Matt Harvey was brought up too soon. I don't think you can necessarily say Zach Wheeler was brought up too soon. I don't think that you could say that, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's to, to me, there, there are fewer examples now than ever before of this. And I think that the, the blaming the Doc and Daryl stuff on them being all caught up too soon is greatly simplifying a very complicated issue. Yeah. Uh, which, which, you know, is what we do on the show, right? It's not, it's not out of the question to, to, to do that. So I'm not trying to pick on, on, uh, on, on the email or anything like that. It just seems to me like of all the things the Mets are doing, I wouldn't think that them being too quick with prospects would be the thing you would point to. You know, if, I think it would be different if you believe that, Gavin Cicchini and Matt Reynolds of the future. Right. I think it will be different if you believe that Robert Gazelman is is the future for the team. Uh, but I think if you're looking at the Mets' true top-line prospects, they've been almost comically patient with Rosario. They were very patient with Conforto. They were, you know, they were relatively patient with their with their starting pitching too. You know, how many seasons did we hear ex young pitcher hopes to break camp with the team, only to have him not break camp with the team and to come up later? That doesn't happen when you're rushing somebody up to the to the majors, right? This isn't Ryan Zimmerman, where the organization said we want him to make the majors in his first professional season. That that no. was the. That was the plan with Zimmerman. That we're going to rush him through the minors to get him up as fast as possible. The Mets have not done that with any of the players that were mentioned here. Right. Yeah, no, no that, uh, that is absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, we, we, we respectfully disagree about that, but we do appreciate the email. And, and I'm always glad to see people taking bold stances in emails. Don't send us some wishy-washy bullshit. Send us some uh, some legit questions that we can sink our teeth into. So this was fun. Yeah. Um, so we're about to head into the All-Star break. What would need to happen, Chris, in the next 10 days that would stop you from truly giving up on the season? Um... Ten, let's say 10 games. Not, not 10 days. 10 games. 10 games. Let's see. Uh, eight or more wins. Okay. I mean, the, this team is not... <clears throat> even eight leaves them still under 500. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't want to say all 10 because that's just an unrealistic ask. I will say if they win 10 games in a row, then I am fully back in. <laughs> that's all I need. If they if they win 10 in a row and they're three over 500 and the National League is uh, you know catchable, then, hey, sign me up. Trade four players. I, I'll, I'll go all in uh, to a ridiculous extent. But I need to, to kind of pull me back in 
a little on a little bit less level than that, uh, lower level than that, I should say. Eight out of the next ten. Nine out of the next ten, and I'm I'm pretty happy. Uh, but even seven and three in this next ten, it's still you know. How long can you go where you don't get over five hundred and and try to act like the season's going to go somewhere? I mean, somewhere the two thousand and six Padres are just laughing at you right now. Oh yeah, was it the <laughs> six Padres that made that made the playoffs? Eighty one and eighty three. Pretty sure. Let's let's uh, fact check since I'm yeah, I've got it handy here. The internet that is, no that yeah. they were eighty eight and seventy four, uh, but hold on, there, it was it there was, was around a, then. There was a team that made the playoffs right around that time that was a game under five hundred and made the playoffs. Yeah, it was and not as a wild card either. Won right, their no, division. The, oh man, what year was it? I thought it was was it much later. I, I thought it was the first. Oh, you know what? I think it's 06. I think it was when Piazza was a uh, was a Padre. You know, but it's not. It's not 06. 2005, they finished 82 and 80 and won the division. That might Maybe, be it. Is, it. is that what I'm thinking of? I could have sworn they were under 500, but that that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think that was. I think they were under 500 until like near the very end of the year. Okay. Yeah, the that NL West in 2004 was won by the Dodgers with 93 wins. In 2005, San Diego with 82. And then in 2006, San Diego with 88. I think that was the I the stand dip. corrected. We don't need to talk about the Cardinals in, in one of those years specifically. Oh, God, no. No. No, we don't. Um, we don't <laughs> but that's not going to happen this year. Right, no, that's just not there. I, even for the wild card to come not out of the West, even for both wild cards to not come out of the West, is looking less and less likely by the day. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, next week we can we can talk more about the trade deadline and what we'd like to see the Mets do or not do during the trade deadline. But I, I, can we both agree the worst thing for the Mets to do is nothing? Uh yeah. I agree with that. All right. Do something. Do something, damn it. (laughs) The New York Mets are no strangers to extra, extra inning games. Here now are the five best marathons that have been played during the regular season. At number 5, it's a game against the Cardinals on April 17, 2010 in St. Louis. A string of zeros as far as the eye can see. For 18 innings and 36 turns at the plate, neither team could put up a run. At long last, in the top of the 19th, the Mets did what was now seeming impossible. Jeff Francois' sacrifice fly scored Jose Reyes from third. Unfortunately, the Cardinals found some run-scoring magic of their own. Yadier Molina singled to right field in the bottom half of the 19th, brought in Albert Pujols, and latched a blown save on the ledger of Francisco Rodriguez. The Redbirds had extended the game to inning number 20, but were left without a viable pitcher to start it. That left the task up to position player Joe Mather. The Mets took advantage with two singles and another sacrifice fly. New York had one fresh arm, Mike Pelfrey, to come in and get the save. Now to number four, featuring a player who wore that number for many years in New York. 
The game took place on April 28, 1985 at Shea. An early Mets 4-0 lead did not hold up. The Pittsburgh Pirates struck for one in the second and three in the sixth. New York's offense continued to stall, but the defense saved the night, particularly that of Rusty Staub. Rusty, at age 41 and in his final season, wasn't nearly the outfielder he was in his younger days. In fact, he swapped from right field and left field 11 times with Clint Hurdle in order to avoid having the ball hit his way. But pitcher Rick Roden, pinch hitting in the 18th, did drive one in Rusty's direction in right field. As it sliced foul, Staub made a wonderful catch near the stands. The Mets won it in the bottom half as Hurdle hit a ball that went through first baseman Jason Thompson's legs. On to number three, September 11, 1974 at Shea against the Cardinals. That was only for the most loyal of fans. The Mets, out of the pennant race, had little to play for, but had a 3-1 lead in the ninth. But Ken Reitz's two-out, two-run home run off Jerry Kuzman tied it and set off a seven-hour journey to history. Neither offense could break through, the Mets especially, as they had a team record 25 runners left on base. 50 players were used, including an obscure rookie named Keith Hernandez in a pinch-hitting role. St. Louis finally scored in the 25th as a poor pickoff attempt at first allowed Bake McBride to somehow make it all the way home. When the Mets were set down in the bottom of the 25th, it was 3.13 in the morning. It remains the longest game played in MLB history in terms of innings that wasn't delayed or suspended. The early Mets had far more bad days than good, and more weird days than most other teams. Chalk this one in the weird category for sure. The San Francisco Giants were playing at Shea in a Sunday doubleheader in late May 1964, something that was commonplace in those days and extinct now, save for makeup games. The teams expected a long day. They got an excruciating long day. The opener lasted a modest 2 hours and 29 minutes. The second, and the number two marathon on our list, went seven hours and 23 minutes. Add it up and take into account the break in between games, and you have a 10-plus-hour day. San Francisco survived the nightcap and won 8-6, but not before the Mets came back from being down 6-1 and forcing extras. New York even got a triple play in the 14th. Gaylord Perry got the win, pitching 10 shutout innings. For the many lengthy games in Mets history, number one is easy. It came on July 4th and 5th of 1985 in Atlanta. Now to explain every wild aspect of this Independence Day epic would take hours, so let's parse it down as best we can. The game lasted 19 innings, a combined total of 8 hours, 15 minutes, including more than 2 hours of rain delays. There were multiple blown saves, multiple ejections, including Davey Johnson and Daryl Strawberry, the Mets playing the game under protest, Keith Hernandez hitting for the cycle, and a relief pitcher, Atlanta's Rick Camp, hitting a game-tying, two-out, two-strike home run in the 18th. Collectively, the teams combined for 46 hits. The Mets had 28, which remains a team record, and every New York position player had a run batted in. Five of those runs came in the top of the 19th. The Braves tried to mount one last comeback, scoring twice and bringing Camp up incredibly again as the tying run. But Ron Darling struck him out at around 3.55 a.m. It's never too late for fireworks, and that's what Fulton County Stadium provided afterwards. 
but the show that preceded it was far more memorable. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at BrianWright86. Hey everyone, this is Steve Seiper, and I'm back to go over our minor league plays of the week for week 13. So our pitcher of the week for the second week in a row now is Binghamton Rumble Pony right-hander Chris Flexen. Flexen pitched one game this week, going six innings and getting the win. He allowed one earned run on one hit. Uh, he walked none, and he struck out ten this time. So I went over Flexen last week and who he is and what he throws and everything, so... That would all be a little redundant if I did it again. So I want to do something a little bit different this week. I want to pose a theoretical question. Is Chris Flexen the Mets' top pitching prospect? I don't necessarily know right now, but for me, he checks off a lot of the boxes. Um, first off, who are the guys in that conversation? There's Thomas Epucky, there's Justin Dunn, there's Marcos Molina. Uh, those are the only guys that were in the top half of our top 25 Mets prospect list from 2017. There's also Gabriel Yanoa, but, you know, the Mets kind of senselessly traded him, so there goes that. But think about the stuff that you look in a prospect. There's stuff, mechanics, physicality, or their body, or whatever it is you want to call it, proximity to the majors, their health history, health concerns, um, you know, flexing stuff compares favorably to those other prospects. His mechanics are fine, there's no real issues there, um... He's 6'3", 230, so he has a, he put on a little weight this year, but it's not bad weight. He's in double-A. Um, his health, he's had some issues, but so is Pucky and so is Molina, so he's not really getting points docked. So, you know, I'm not going to answer that question, but think about it. You know, there's no real major standout um, so far this season, so it is conceivable that by the end of the year, Flexen claims that mantle. And now for our hit of the week... That person is Las Vegas 51's outfielder, Travis Tyrone. Travis went 8 for 28 with 4 home runs, 8 RBI, 3 walks, 9 strikeouts, and a caught stealing. Uh, So Tyrone was drafted in the 18th round of the 2011 draft out of Cal State Polytech Pomona. (laughs) So regardless of what happens in his career, uh, you know, you got to give him credit. Coming out of a Division II school... Getting drafted in the 18th round, I mean, Tyrone is basically on the doorstep of the major league, so that's pretty good. Uh, right off the bat, he put up some really big numbers. Uh, he was assigned to Brooklyn after getting drafted, and he hit 299, 387, 557 with nine home runs, which is still shy of Corey Vaughn's record of 14 homers in Brooklyn, but that's still a number that no Cyclone has matched since, so that's pretty good. Uh, His batting average over the years since has dipped a bit, but basically there are two things that have been pretty constant throughout Tyrone's career in the minor leagues. He's posted pretty decent on-base percentages, and he's had plenty of power. But with all that power is his biggest flaw, he strikes out a ton. Basically, for his entire career, he's had about a 30% strikeout rate. Uh, You know, it's a little high, or it's excessively high. And then in the majors, you know, that's going to be even worse. His career walk rate is decent, and basically he has a 3-to-1 or 2-to-1, you know, somewhere in that range, 
um, strikeout to walk rate for his career. But again, in the majors, he's not going to walk as much, and he's going to probably strike out more. So that's unfortunate for Tyrone. And also unfortunate is the fact that he doesn't have the chops to play center field, so he's limited to a corner um, outfield spot. And, you know, if if he had the range to play center, that would open up a lot of doors for him. But, unfortunately, he uh, does not have that ability. So those are our minor league players for the week, week 13. And normally I'd end there, but this week, uh, the 2017-2018 IFA signing period started, and the Mets signed a bunch of kids, so I just kind of wanted to touch on those guys a little bit. Uh, four of the kids that the Mets signed or are expected to sign are in Bed Badler's top 50 list over at Baseball America. So it seems like the Mets had a pretty good uh, haul this year so far. The biggest bonus that they handed out was to Ronnie Mauricio, who is a switch-hitting shortstop for the Dominican Republic. The Mets gave him a $2.1 million signing bonus, which is higher than the $1.75 million they gave Ahmed Rosario a couple of years ago. Uh, ben Badler ranked Mauricio as the third-best international prospect this class, so that's pretty good. Um, he was born on April 4th, <laughs> 2001, so think about that for a second. And he is currently uh, 6'2", and only weighs 165 pounds. At the plate, he has a smooth swing from both sides of the um, and even though he has a, a more compact kind of contact-oriented swing from the left side, uh, he has a lot of power um, from the right. He's got a good bat speed. He keeps his hand short to the ball. And his swing is loose and without much effort, and that gives him a good bat-on-ball ability. His barrel path is good, and he has just enough loft in his swing to turn doubles into home runs when his body starts maturing, and he starts adding some more adult muscle. He's shown a good eye at the plate, and he puts together good at-bats even when he is overmatched. And defensively, he reads the ball well, and he shows quick reaction times and good instincts. His foot speed is below average, but his range at shortstop is decent. Um, He has soft hands, he has a quick ball transfer from glove to hand, and he has a plus arm. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of evaluators are concerned that he might put on too much weight and get too big over the next years to stay at shortstop. But basically, as long as he keeps up his agility and athleticism, he should be able to stick there, regardless of how big he gets. You know, the days of a little shortstop are long gone. After Mauricio, the next highest bonus that the Mets handed out was $1.5 million, and that was to Adrian Hernandez, who is a right-handed outfielder from the Dominican Republic. He was born on February 8, 2001, and he's currently six foot even and 185 pounds. And Bed Badler ranked him as the 16th best international prospect in this class. So at the plate, Hernandez has a kind of rigid swing and has some lift to it. He has explosive bat speed, and combined with his physical strength, he has plus power. Uh, right now, he could drive fastballs over the fence back up the middle and to his pull side but he still has a lot of work to do on breaking balls. Basically, his bat is faster than his baseball skills right now, like pitch recognition and barrel control, so he swings and gets in and out of the zone too fast against off-speed pitches, so he needs needs to refine that. 
uh, in the outfield. He basically, you know, he, he looks like a running back, and he has the skill set that you'd expect from one. Uh, he has above average speed, and he could turn it on real quick. And his instincts are only so-so, but he's got plenty of time, you know, plenty of years to work on all that. His arm is also so-so, uh, but if, if he's able to stay in center field, having uh, only an average arm will be minimalized. A lot of evaluators are split on whether or not he'll be able to stay in center, or if his body's going to develop and he's going to lose speed. But again, he has plenty of time to work on the stuff that he can, and hone stuff like his read of the ball, of the bat, and his roots to the ball, and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully, if he does lose speed, um, he'll be able to refine all those other things and minimize the impact that losing speed will have on him. After Hernandez, uh, the Mets gave Stanley Consuerga a $500,000 bonus. He is an outfielder from the Dominican. Uh, he was born on September 26, 2000, and he is currently 6'2", 170 pounds. And Ben Badler ranked him as the 40th best international prospect in this class. So he has a long swing, uh, but he has good bat-to-ball skills, and he makes a lot of contact. But because, um, and because his swing is a little deep, he makes a lot of hard contact. But unfortunately, that kind of approach causes, um, you know, swing and misses against better stuff. Uh, defensively, he's a pretty good athlete. He's a pretty good, uh, you know, quick twitch athlete. Uh, initially, he was a shortstop, but he was moved to center. So he has a really strong arm out there. He's a plus arm. And because of his kind of quick instincts, quick reactions, and his long frame, he gets a lot of range out there. He gets on the ball quick. And his instincts and you know his roots are still in the infancy, but just like Hernandez, he has plenty of, he has plenty of time to work on all that. Uh, another guy that the Mets have been linked to and are expected to sign is David Marcano, who is a Venezuelan right-handed pitcher. And the reason why he hasn't signed yet is because he's <laughs> still underage. He's 15 right now. And he doesn't turn 16 until August 28th. But when he does, he's expected to sign with the Mets. And because he's Venezuelan, we're, we'll, we're not going to know how much he's going to sign for, since it's protocol to not release monetary values for kids signed out of Venezuela. But given his skills and the general market for other IFAs out there, he's probably going to get a bonus for you know a few hundred thousand dollars or so. His fastball sits in the high 80s. And, you know, hits the low 90s. He's topped out as high as 92 miles per hour so far. Uh, his fastball range has fluctuated a bit um, in all the different competitions that he's been in, all the tournaments, and all the different workouts that he's had in front of scouts. But, I mean, the kid's body's still developing, and he's still learning how to pitch, so it's not really worrisome or anything like that. His mechanics generally are good, and they suggest that there's more velocity to come from him as he grows, so that's good. And then he complements the fastball with a 12-6 curveball and a changeup. Uh, the curveball is the better of the two pitches. And Ben Badler has ranked him as the 49th best international prospect in this class. And then in addition to those four guys, there are four that are out of the top 50. Uh, there's two kids from the Dominican Republic, uh, Federico Polanco, who's a shortstop, and Patricio Diaz, who's an outfielder, and two kids from Venezuela, Eduardo Salazar, who's an outfielder, and Robert Colina, who is a right-handed pitcher. So those are our minor league players of the week for week 13, and a quick synopsis of the different guys that the Mets uh, have signed so far out of the IFA class of 2017 to 2018. 
So I will talk with everyone next week on Amazing Avenue Audio. So remember how last week I said this podcast hit is just going to get really depressing every week because it's just going to be the Mets are bad at baseball and aren't making the playoffs. We're continuing on week two because they've they've done well. They won two of three against the Phillies and two of three against the Marlins. And everyone's hope started to come back. And that is dangerous as a Mets fan because you should never feel hope as a Mets fan. Because the last two days have proven nothing but the fact that the Mets are not good. And they're playing the Nationals. And look, the Nationals are a better team. Their bullpen is not. I don't know that it's worse. I don't know that I ever want to find out who is a worse bullpen between the Mets and the Nationals. But the fact is that the Nationals are a much better team, and the Mets just can't hang with good baseball teams. You can, you know, you can stock your your wins against these terrible teams, but that's not going to help you in October. And the fact is that the Mets just have to sell. You can't, they can't, we can't, whoever they can't, hope that there are enough bad teams you're going to play in September again that you can fall into a playoff spot because and I don't know that I said this last year because I think I felt differently last year but they had more chance last year and a one game wild card spot is not enough reward to not blow this team up in the next two weeks and get back some pieces that are actually going to help you next year because this year is dead and the, you know the front office has got to start looking ahead Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. We truly appreciate it. We hope that you go to AmazingAvenue.com and check out all the Mets content there. Even when the team is terrible, we've got great minor league coverage, great retro coverage, just lots of good stuff there. So check out AmazingAvenue.com. You may also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. We would also really appreciate it if you went to Apple Podcasts and rate, reviewed, and subscribed to the show, or did so on Stitcher, or downloaded it from blogtalkradio.com, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. If there is a review option, please do that. It does help us. We appreciate it in advance. You can also email the show, like the Mats did this week, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We promise we will answer your question on the air, even if we severely truncate it. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Kate is at Katie Feldman. Steve is at Steve Saipa. And Brian is at Brian Wright 86 um, Yeah, I got nothing else. All-Star Break's coming up soon. Home Run Derby is maybe my favorite dumb event of the year. It's totally dumb, but I totally watch it every year. The All-Star Game should be fun. Congratulations, Michael Conforto. And uh, until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.